So, th- now this is a, a really important moment. Um, last Sunday, if you were here, how many were here last Sunday? Okay, there's a, pr- pretty much a, almost all of you. Well, I have to bring something to the church. Brian Lake last Sunday mentioned something about Hallmark movies. Does anybody remember that? Well, we found out he was lying. So we got the elders together and we got in a room and we've been praying really hard. And so today is kind of a, a of like, let's call it out a Brian Lake kind of thing moment. But what he really wanted to tell you, please take notes if you're ready. Grab your, your thing out, grab a pen. What he really wanted to tell you is send him as many Hallmark movies as possible for Christmas. All right? So if you're here, there you go. And I just had an amen from Sherry. So I, we know it's to be true, right, my friend? I may be in big trouble because the Trace Diaz weekends are coming up. A lot of things are happening. I might be in trouble here. But it's really good to be with you. And it's funny. Like, God impressed on my heart in the first service to say this. So I, I'm going to just see if it's where he, he's flowing now. And we'll just flow with this and see what happens. But something that I've been wrestling with this week, and I've been really re- in repentance to the Lord about a spirit of religion. And I don't know if I've been following the spirit of religion too much. And it was from a, a, a certain part of scripture. Jesus is with this religious people called the Sadducees, and they don't believe in the resurrection, and they're trying to test him. And they're testing Jesus, and he's talking to them, and he says, hold on, hold on. See, you guys don't know about the resurrection because you don't know the scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. And he says, you're consumed with the traditions of men. And I felt like God just got a hold of my heart and said, you know, my people, they know about the scriptures But if you don't know about the power of God, you go to another extreme. You get into religion and not relationship. And then some are all about the power of God. And they don't have the scriptures. And there's another extreme there. And God says, we need both. We need the scriptures and the power of God. And I think some of us get lost in the traditions of men. That has to be this way. But what if God, for you to experience the power of God, what if God, so you can experience the scripture, said, I need to bust you out of your comfort zone so you'll believe and you'll see me move in your life. And my challenge, TBA, to you is let's press in. Let's get in the flow of the Spirit and say, God, I want to know your power, but I also need to know the Scriptures. God, I know the Scriptures, but I want to know your power. And I'm tired of the traditions of men, the spirit of religion that's on so many churches, especially in America, and start saying, God, I want to know you. I'm desperate for you. I need to know your power in my life but I need to know your word so I'm grounded in the word of God because it says his word is forever fixed in heavens. It's God's word. It never returns void. It always accomplishes what he purposes. So I don't know, man. I just, that's what I'm praying. God bust me out of my comfort zone. Get me out of it. I'm tired of the spirit of religion. I don't want to stop your spirit. I don't want to stop your word going forth out of your mouth. And accomplishing all it does because that's what the spirit of religion does. It shuts down the word of God. It makes it null and void. Man, we can't be that church. We got to be that church that dives in, believes what's written in the word of God, believes what Jesus said, and presses into him with everything we got. You got to run for it. You got to go for it. We got to get uncomfortable. We got to say this is desperation time. We got to go for what God has for us. People are dying around us, and if we don't press into it, we're in trouble, and we're in trouble as a church. So I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get so heavy. I don't think I was that heavy in the first service. I don't know what happened. But what I want to say is we have a God who loves us. It's all about relationship. So let's knock off the spirit of religion stuff, okay? Amen? So let's lighten it up a little bit. 
I don't know if I can reel this back, lighten it up. But the title of this week is Our Father Sees in Secret. So I just want to put that, Our Father Sees in Secret. Probably didn't bring too much emotion to you. That's pretty good. Now let me add a word in there. Our Father sees you in secret. Or let me put it this way. Our Father sees what you do in the secret. Now how does that make you feel? Hmm. Guilt, condemnation, worry. If you're like me, it's like, get it together. God's coming over. Get the house all fixed up. What's going? It's like a mad dash to get things in order to be perfect, right? See, many of us see Father God in such a bad light. Think of the Trinity. We don't say this. Now, we don't say this out loud, but think of of how we think about the Trinity. We don't verbalize it this way, but we think the Father is the angry one, the Son is the nice one, and the Holy Spirit is weird. I'm not trying to be sacrilegious. Let's just be honest. This is how we view God. But remember Jesus in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven. That word Father, our translations don't paint the picture, but it's Abba. Abba, our Abba who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And that word Abba, if you go to Israel, you'll hear little children looking up to their daddies and saying, Abba, Abba. It's daddy, it's Papa. Jesus is, is saying, our Father. See, we, when, when we hear that, our Father, it sounds so distant. It sounds like the angry boot in the sky, right? But Jesus is trying to paint a different picture of the Father and say, Abba, Daddy, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, and it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Our Abba, Father. I like the story, and maybe you heard this as like an old preacher story. But the little kid says, I know the name of God. We say it every week. Our Father who art in heaven, Howard be thy name. His name is not Howard. It's Abba. Sorry, I know that was cheesy. But it's Abba, Daddy, Papa. And I know for many of you, you feel like God is so distant. He's angry. He's the boot in the sky ready to kick you if you get it wrong. And some of you, that intimate term, it's almost hard for you to even grasp. How can I call God Abba? Yet in Matthew 6, Jesus begins to paint a different picture in the Sermon on the Mount. If you read it, how many times he talks about the Father. And in Matthew 6, he challenges their hearts in three areas of giving, prayer, and fasting. Now, I know a couple weeks ago I talked about giving, and I was afraid everybody's going to leave the church, and you're still here. Or maybe you weren't there, so that's why you're here. But I'm not going to talk about those things. So I know there's like a sigh of relief. But I want to touch on those subjects. But the the phrase that Jesus used when he talks about those. This is what he says, Matthew 6, 4. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. See, sometimes we call this, and this will make sense as we go, we call it the secret place where God, the unseen, is. We call it a prayer closet. You'll see why in a second. And we call it these things. See, there's a father, Abba, in the secret place, away from all the world, that wants to be with you, where no other eyes are watching but his. He is not the angry boot in the sky, but he's your Abba. He is good, and it's an invitation to a relationship, not religion. Let me ask you, do you believe that your Father in heaven wants everything to do with you or that he rejects you? And be really honest as I ask that to yourself, because many of you are believers, and you think that God rejects you. Do you believe that? I want to invite you into a relationship to the good, good Father who awaits you in the secret place. 
Let me read from Matthew 6, starting at verse 1. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness, quote-unquote, if Jesus had quoters. I'm sure he did the Hebrew quotes. I don't know what those are. Practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Remember that. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. Can you imagine if somebody came in here with trumpets and they were given in the back of the offering box, how weird that would be? Yet that was commonplace. So don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites, remember that word, do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Very important phrase that Jesus uses. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And then he goes on to prayer. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. There's that word again. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Remember that phrase, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And I love this. This is where we're hanging. This is where we're rolling right now. But when you pray, go into your room. That's the secret place. Sometimes some translations say the closet. Close your door and pray to the Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And I didn't put this in there. But then he busts into the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. Then he moves on to fasting. He says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they receive their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. See, Jesus says they're living to impress others. So let me ask you a question. Who are you doing what you do for? Who are you doing what you do for? Are you living to impress others? Just to sum up the, this part of the scriptures, Jesus is saying on the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about the outward so-called righteousness, and then he's talking about inner righteousness. He speaks of how the Pharisees do these things in public so that people will see their piety and be impressed. Jesus says they already got their reward, meaning the praise of people, the praise of men is all that they would receive. Jesus, in contrast, teaches his followers to go into their room, go into that closet, go into that secret place, that secret chamber, and pray so that they will receive no praise from people. And if no praise is received from people, then their reward is from the Father instead. Jesus says, and he says these key phrases, you're doing these things before men to be honored, to be seen. And then he calls them a a wonderful word, hypocrites. See, we use that in, in, in our, our language. We know that word. But it came from the Greek. In the plays, they would put on a mask. They would put on a mask and do their part. And so Jesus is saying this. Don't be like that. Don't be like the hypocrites that put on a mask. And in our context, it's people who act holy to receive praise from others. Jesus is saying there's no reward in that. But we got to be honest because all of us have worn a mask. All of us have been hypocrites, Right? All of us want the praise of people. All of us fear the rejection of man. 
And those are the two reasons why we do it. We don't have time to delve into that today. But we fear rejection, and so we put on an act. Or we're seeking after the praise of people and saying, look how good my life is when it's not. Is that you? Jesus says you're seeking the reward from the wrong source. That add a boy or that add a girl that we all need that should only come from our heavenly father. See, Jesus never struggled with that because he was secure in who he was in the father. In the scriptures, when he's talking to the people, he says, you seek after the praise that comes from each other. But I seek the praise that comes from my father. Jesus never struggled with that. And he's saying you're trying to prove something to the wrong people. And the only one that matters that you don't have to prove anything to. Because he proved it for you on a cross 2,000 years ago. He loves you and is good. And he rewards those who seek him with all their heart. Did you hear that word over and over? Reward, reward, reward. God will reward you. See, some of us are like, oh, great, I get stuff. That's not what he's talking about. The reward is God's love, the riches of God's love. I love what John Piper says. He says, it's not what man can give that satisfies us, but the reward of God himself. Listen, there's only one thing to live for, one thing that will quench your thirst. It's not drugs. It's not sex. It's not people loving you. It's not conquering the mountain of success. It's God. And the Father is in the secret place. And he wants to meet with you every morning, throughout your day, when you're in your car, everywhere you're at is the secret place with God. Jesus often went to lonely places. He went up the mountain to spend time in the secret place with the Father so he could listen to his voice. So let me ask you these questions. What if you sowed your time into eternity while it will last forever? What if you swam against the current of activity instead of drowning in it? What if you were more concerned with the size of your heart over the size of your influence? What if ministry to him was above ministry to people? And you're like, whoa, Brian, wait, wait, now you're, you're, you're stepping on toes. Do you know we're a priesthood of believers and the priests in the Old Testament minister to the Lord first before people? And this is, this is where we're hanging. What if all God wants for us is to catch a picture of him? See, we strive on the outside and we're dying on the inside. But for Jesus, he's inviting us into a lifestyle of relationship with the Father, being with him. It's a private life that fuels your public life for the right reasons. And I know some of you, you don't like to pray out in public, so you're like, sweet, Jesus gave me the out. I don't have to pray in public. That's not what he's saying. Because two scriptures before this, or maybe two chapters, or somewhere in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Go do those good works so that when people see them, they praise not me, not you, the Father in heaven. See, Jesus isn't saying don't do these things in public, but he's saying it's about the heart. It's all about the heart. So I want to talk about the cultivation of the heart in the secret place with the eyes of the Father on you. So where is that room or that closet or that secret place? Well, Strong's Concordance helps us kind of map that out a little bit. It's this word, tamion, which is not the way to say it. But it can mean a secret chamber, a place where a person may retire for privacy. And the third thing is, or a place for storage, kind of like a pantry or a closet. So I want to start with the last first. These are like Greek word pictures, and I want to start with that. The first is the storehouse. And it was a, like a pantry, a place you would keep provisions. 
It was a type, type of storage room or a pantry that would be situated in the interior of their house in Jesus' day. And listen to what it contained. Think of this spiritually. It contained bread, olive oil, water, and wine. These items would be the daily bread sorts of food items that would sustain life on a regular basis. Remember, he just told them the Lord's Prayer in that same verse. And he says to pray for daily bread. So picture you're in the pantry, in the secret place, praying for your needs. It's not just physical food, it's spiritual food. I don't know if your pantry's full or empty. And I'm not talking about real food. I'm talking about this right here. I don't know if it's empty or full, but he provides everyday spiritual bread for you in the secret place. Oil and wine, they're symbols of cleansing and Holy Spirit. We are to bring every need before his throne and ask daily for daily bread to meet those needs materially and spiritually. It's a place the Lord adjusts our hearts. See, we rush around and work on the outward man. We chase after the things of the world and we worry and we strive. How about jumping out of the kingdom of worry into the kingdom of God? But in the secret place, that's where we begin to jump out of it. I don't know how many times this week with some of the things my family's going through that I had to jump out of the kingdom of worry and get into God's kingdom and start thinking like my father thinks in heaven and start seeing my situation and my circumstances like my Abba sees them. I have my eyes here and he's like, you need to start looking up. Hopping out of that kingdom of worry in the secret place, praying for those needs. God wants to develop your heart. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we read of the judgment seat of Christ. It's called the Bema seat of Christ. It's not what's called the great white throne judgment. This is for believers. And it's a final judgment for believers, not for salvation. That was determined for you on earth, whether you rejected or accepted Christ. But of rewards based on what you did for believers on earth, good or bad. Let me read it for you, and I'm going to connect these two about the heart. All right, let's read it. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the only thing you can build in your life. If you're building anything else on that solid rock we sung about, you're in trouble. It's sinking sand. But listen, this is the key I want you to hear. If anyone builds on this, he's talking to believers. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, or costly stones, that's like diamonds, things, wood, hay, or straw. Did you hear the difference between all those? Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what they've been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though as only one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? So Paul's writing this. He's talking about judgment for the believers. And we're talking about the heart today in a secret place. Let me connect it all, okay? So Paul says, wood, hay, and straw. Where do you find that? Up on the surface, right? And it will be burned up. It's all above ground. But those precious metals, gold, silver, diamonds, where do you find those? What's that? Under the earth. It takes time to develop over time. Now think about your heart. Are you cultivating your heart with Papa God, with Abba, with your Father, through Holy Spirit, in the unseen when no one is looking? 
Jesus is asking, are you moving towards me? Think about when light shines on those precious stones, on silver or gold or diamonds. What does it do? It reflects out. It can't help but reflect. But it's not reflecting you. It's reflecting Jesus. See, most of us live with little embers barely flickering because we're consumed by the things above the ground, the world, the lust of the eyes, the desire for what one has, and the pride of position and talent. That's wood, hay, and stubble, and it will be burned. But Holy Spirit works on your interior life so you can live an outward life that reflects Jesus. Look, we look at so many things as important. We look for worth in those things, and they're mostly outward things. But few truly look and consider the quality of their interior as the measure of their worth and success. Few consider that God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside, and he's looking for hearts fully committed to him. In Proverbs, it says, as water reflects the face, so the man heart reflects the man. It's going to come out, whatever's happening in here. It says to be attentive to your heart, to guard your heart because it's the wellspring of life. King David was a man after God's own heart. He knew all about the wood, hay, and the stuff to be burned. Many times he was in conflict because he was doing those things, but he was a man after God's own heart. He kept pursuing him, chasing him. No matter what he was developing up here, he said, it's about this. It's about my pursuit of God. And he said, God, your love is better than life. Think of David's ups and downs, the sins and the victories, all he possessed. But he said, your love is better than life. And he said in the Psalms, one thing I ask, one thing I desire is that I may gaze at the beauty of the Lord and dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Are you preoccupied with God or are you chasing the things above ground? Number two of that list was the chamber, a place of privacy. And you'll see in a second, it was like a bedchamber. The word for room or closet in Matthew 6 is also used in Joel 2.16. It says, let the bridegroom go forth out of his chamber and the bride out of her chamber. Remember, we're called the bride of Christ, right? See that secret place, that prayer closet. It's a bridal chamber. It's exclusive to them. It is a place where there is no disturbance, a guarded place that is close to the outside world. Isaiah 26.19-21 says, come my people into your chambers. Same word. Same word that Jesus is using. Go to that secret place. Go to that bedchamber because there's times of great trouble and distress. In other words, you run to that chamber because there's a storm on the way. See, we hear the bedchamber. We're like, oh, that's so sweet. But in Isaiah, he's saying, look, it's chaotic and crazy out there. You get to God. You get into the place of refuge. You get into the dwelling place under the shadow of his wings in the secret place. And finally, the term secret chamber or room or closet that Jesus used is used interchangeably with the most holy place in the temple, the holy of holies, the place where God's presence dwells. Listen, you don't have to go to a building. When you go into the secret place, you've stepped into the throne room of Almighty God, our good Father. This is where he speaks sonship and daughtership over you. Hebrews says we have our Father's, Abba's glad welcome. It's not based on what we've done, good or bad, but based on Jesus and his blood and his righteousness. You see, you don't believe you have his glad welcome because you don't see him as good. 
Because there's always that thing. Well, maybe he's not good. Or maybe this happened and so it shows me that he's not good. And I want you to listen to this. It's probably because your first picture of a dad wasn't good. We all have father wounds. Some of us have had earthly fathers who deeply hurt us or disappointed us. And even people who have great earthly fathers still have father wounds because no earthly father is perfect. Listen, I like to think that I'm an okay father, but I hurt my kids. I don't want to. And I'm striving in Christ to be the best father I can. But even as good as I try to be, I know that I'll fail them. See, we project onto our heavenly father those wounds. Listen, your father in heaven is not like your earthly father. And the deepest wounds you received on earth can be healed. I believe most every bondage in our lives can be traced back to a wound that our earthly father's given us. Sometimes it's the mom, usually it's the father. But he will heal us from every father wound in the secret place, speaking sonship over you, speaking daughtership over you. You see, the problem is, it's not just our earthly fathers that wounded us, that we've been hurt by. Do you know in the Bible, in John 8, Jesus talks, says basically that there's two fathers. John 8, let me read it to you. So let me give you some context. The people are coming and they're ready to kill Jesus. And they're starting to dialogue with him. So listen to what he says. I speak what I've seen in the presence of the father. How do we know that? Well, he went to the secret place to be with the father. So then... You do what you have heard from your father. So there's another father. And they respond. I didn't put this in there, but they said, well, our father is Abraham. But Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me because I came from God and I am here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I said? Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are your father's, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. You see, Jesus talked about the devil being a father. And he says this to the unredeemed. That's who he's speaking to, people that don't know Jesus. He's saying, that's your father. There's a bad father and a good father And you may never have thought of this, but the Bible is very clear if you've not been born again, that you belong to the bad father, that you're a slave to Satan. It's very clear. Because of sin, we are born with Satan as our father. He is the bad father. He is a murderer, a liar, and the father of lies. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. When we are born again, when we give our lives to Jesus, God becomes our father. But here's the deal. This is where many of you are right now. But the devil still tries to lie to us by putting thoughts in our minds that contradict God's word. You've heard it in Genesis. Well, is God really good? Then why did he let that happen in your life? Are you sure he's good? Because look, you know, your finances are hurting. Is God really good? How could that person do that to you? And we think that's who our God is. But listen to what the Bible profoundly and just in the most simplistic words, what's so profound says in Psalm 119, 68, you are good and do good, period. 
That's who the good father is. But we let our experience with our earthly fathers and our ex-father Satan inform us about our real heavenly Papa God. Let's stop listening to the trash talk of the devil who wants to convince us that God is not good. He is good and does good, period. Listen to what James says in the Bible. It says this in James, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Listen to what he says, because I, I believe we kind of read past this, but listen to what James says. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good, perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. That's good news. That should demolish the lives of the enemy right there. Our God is good. He's not shifty or shadowy. He gives good gifts. He does not tempt you, and he cannot be tempted by evil. He's the father of lights, not darkness. He does not change. He's not wishy-washy. And that whole thing, if he doesn't change, it means there's not even a possibility of his turning away from you. There's no shadow or turning in him. There's no evil in him. In fact, darkness flees from him. It has to. It can't be in his presence. See, there's a different, this, please, please listen. Please hear this. You don't hear anything else. Hear this right now. Because many of you are blaming your circumstance on God. He's not good because I'm going through this thing. Listen, there's a difference between God allowing something in our lives than God causing it. He doesn't cause it. Does he use the bad stuff? Absolutely. But he doesn't tempt you and he's good. He gives us only good gifts. Like Wade said, with the right heart and motivation because he sees the heart and it's laid bare before him. He wants you to think. Satan wants you to think. See, Wade, you threw me off, my friend. I love you, man. But here's the deal. Satan is the accuser. Stop thinking God accuses you. It's not scriptural. And Satan wants you to be convinced that that voice of accusation is your good father in heaven. Does he discipline us? Yes. But his correction is not rejection. And his love is good. Let me break it down. It's gonna get crazy theological in here, all right? It's crazy. Jamie Bennett was in the last thing. I know he probably wrote this down because it's really, really deep. It's insane. It's probably somewhere in the Greek and Hebrew. You know I'm leading up to joking, but it's not a huge joke. Satan, bad, God, good. End of story. That's the truth. That's the truth. And the secret place is about running to our good father and telling on the bad father that's been trying to lie to you. And so our good father can start speaking sonship and daughtership in your life. And not only are you believing the scriptures, but you're believing in the power of God and not holding to traditions of men, but pressing into God and going for it. Because he's good, no matter what you're going through. Listen, my week has been that way. I've had to run to the secret place so many times. It wasn't just a morning fix. It was almost five-minute fix. It was, I'm starting to worry again, but boom, let's get back into the kingdom. How's this going to happen, God? All things come from you, God. My God is able to supply all my needs through his riches in glory through Christ Jesus. 
God is able to make all grace abound to me, that in all things, at all times, having all that I need, I will abound in every good work. That is our king. And that's what I've been holding on to this week. That's where I've been chasing in and pressing in, saying I'm tired of listening to the lies. I'm pressing in and saying my God is good, and he has a good plan. I don't care how hard it gets. I love him, and I'm pressing in because I know he loves me and loved me first. But see, I know you don't, you don't believe this yet. There's still that thing in the back of your head. And I'm praying that, that today the Holy Spirit is going to demolish the arguments that Satan has set up in your minds that God is not good. Let me read you one more scripture. Luke 11, 11, and this is also found in Matthew. Wade, Wade, Wade read this. Which of you fathers, talking to fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? So you think God's always giving you snakes. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give Holy Spirit? And in Matthew, he says good gifts, because the greatest gift he can give is Holy Spirit. And you have the Holy Spirit. If you know Jesus, you have the greatest gift living in you, named Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. We got to get to know him. He's good and gives good gifts. But listen to that last part. Have you asked him? Have you asked him? See, some of you are under the impression, I'm not worthy to get to the Father. Jesus made you worthy. Jesus paid the price so you could have the Father's glad welcome. I want to end this way. I want to just read some reasons that I wrote down why I love my good father. I, I read back now, and I'm, it's not very poetic, it's not very deep, but it is what it is. But before I do, I want to say one thing. Write it down, get a tattoo. If you're below the age of 18, don't get a tattoo. But we need to imprint in our minds this phrase. Stop viewing your Abba Father as the one who gives snakes and scorpions. He wants to fill you with good things from his hand, and he knows what's best for you. So here's my reasons. Because in my darkest days, his love sustains me. Because no matter how many character defects that should keep me from him and cause me to be rejected by others, he still unashamedly calls me his own, his beloved, his son. I look at my life and I see how his tender love has guided me, how he's navigated and brought to my life the right things at the right times when no one else would give me a chance. When I've gone through hard times, he has carried me through. And when I strayed and was stubborn, he loved me enough to allow pain that caused me to see my need for him. When I was not worthy of forgiveness, my heart so dark, he forgave me. And when I've hurt others, he helps me to accept ownership and reminds me that despite my failures, he is still there. Listen, there's nothing, no thing, nothing, no thing that can keep you from his love, that can separate you from the love of God through Christ Jesus. That's the truth that we must cling to. And he sent his son not to condemn you, but to save you from your sins so you could find forgiveness demonstrated on the cross. First John says this, and we're wrapping it up. 
First John says it. He could have said a lot of things about God. But he said, God is love. Could have said a lot of things. God is love. Not as the world defines, but as the Bible defines love. And in 1 Corinthians, many of you heard this. Many of you got married and heard this. But in Corinthians, Paul is teaching the church to love. And he defines love is patient. Love is kind. You guys have heard that verse, right? Just nod at me even if you hadn't. Be like, yeah, Brian, we're totally with you. Only not so much. Just messing. But you've heard that passage. Even though it's defining how we're to love each other, if God is love, I think it's defining who he is. So I'm praying right now that God will destroy the lies of the enemy right now. That right now you're going to hear truth. Right now you're going to hear something about God that you didn't remember or didn't recognize. And right now he's going to break a lie, a stronghold that's in your life. So what I want you to do is I'm going to read 1 Corinthians but I'm going to insert God's name instead of love, because God is love. And I'm, I'm sorry if that seems weird to you, but I believe this is, this is what it is. I want you to just close your eyes, and I'm just going to pray, and then I'm going to read it over you. Father, there are many right now that don't believe that you're good, and that's not from you. You are the good Father. Many right now have wounds that you need to speak to. Father, speak to their wounds right now. Holy Spirit, move. Holy Spirit, bless this place. Spirit of wisdom and understanding to know you better, as it says in Ephesians, Father. Spirit of wisdom and understanding right now. Love is patient. God is patient. God is kind. God doesn't envy. God does not boast. God is not proud. God is not easily angered, and God keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. God always protects. God always trusts. God always hopes. God always perseveres. God never fails. You can open up your eyes. And even when you failed, even when you failed, your Father in heaven will not, cannot fail you. He loves you and he is good. Maybe all he's asking is to catch a picture of him. He's good, the good father. So as we continue to worship, maybe today you have brokenness, wounds. You might wanna come up here and bow or to the altar, pray to God, come back to the good father. He's not pushing you away. He's signaling you to come. Here's the deal. Because we're caught up in the traditions of men and the spirit of religion, we don't let ourselves get out of our comfort zones. Eric Phillips always says that being dignified is not a fruit of the spirit. Sometimes you gotta shake yourself up. Say, God, I'm tired of being stuck. I'm tired of being in the same place. I'm tired of, of the lies. I'm tired of accepting that the lies are some nice friend that I'm going to keep in my house. Kick the devil out. Press into him. So you may want to bow. And if you don't know Jesus today, man, the scriptures are clear. You're a slave to Satan. I know you don't want to hear that, but it's the word of God. And that you must be born again, born of heaven. You must have eternal life in you. And he died on the cross to forgive every sin that he come into your lives. And you have to accept Jesus as your savior. And if that's you, 
I want you to come to Next Steps. It's in the back. Joni, Tim, myself, others will be back there. We want to pray for you to receive Christ. But you have to bust out of the, the mold that Satan has tried to create you in. You're made in the image of God. And start believing the truth. And maybe you've been a believer for a while. It's time to tear down the lies. It's time to tear down the lies. He's good. So let me pray again. Father, I just ask that your spirit would just search hearts and minds right now. God, that people would believe right now that they can experience you. Father, you already freed somebody in the first service. While they were even worshiping, you freed them. Father, forgive us for not living with an expectation. Father, in fact, I bow before you because you're my heavenly father and I'm unworthy to be on this stage. I'm unworthy to speak your words. Father, it's not about me, it's about you. Father, you're the one who came to break freedom. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, I pray right now you break the chains, that you break the bondage with your simple truth. Holy Spirit, speak your truth, Father. Spirit of wisdom and revelation right now, Father, to know you better. God, I just pray that over your people. I pray for TBA, that we stop following the spirit of religion. I rebuke the spirit of religion in Jesus' name. And I ask that we begin to walk, keep in step and live in the Holy Spirit that we wouldn't grieve your spirit but we'd fan into the flames Father the gifts you've given us we just bless you in Jesus name